to all of those who loved him, all of us who still look for the black number three in the field, if you look real hard, they say you can still see him there. If you listen with us to the following song, well, perhaps you just might feel him here with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, here to remember Dale Earnhardt. TC and Jake. Hey guys, uh, I'm talking to the fans right now um, to let them know that we are talking with, uh, it's me, TC, with Jake, and uh, Justin Bell is also on the line. How's everyone doing? Hey, hey. Jake, are you still still good? I am. Uh, yeah, sorry. I was just trying to, to, to cure my, my COVID by drinking bleach. Oh, cool. Which, uh, yeah. Yeah, I was I, just gonna uh, overdose on chloropine or whatever. I, I died. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's really weird. I mean, I'm um, pretty sure there's there's no warning labels on uh, fish tank cleaner. So, right. you know. <laughs> it absolutely like I want to know if it was his fish tank or not. Uh, I and, mean, he probably went to the store. If if you just saw that Trump said like, "Ah, it's good, it's fine," and then just like could find it in your house, wouldn't that give you a little extra pause? I mean, I'm I'm just not comfortable with the idea that there are fish now uh, waiting for someone to come and feed them and clean their tank, and it's just never going to happen again. So I'm I'm happier if he went went to the store. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the wife's like uh, clinging to life enough so that she could probably be like, "Hey, go uh, go help them fish." I don't know, it, man. It says here in this article, this is a quote from her, mm-hmm. uh, and I say that because it sounds made up. Uh huh. Um, it says, "quote." I saw it sitting on the back shelf and thought, hey, isn't that the stuff they're talking about on TV? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> the wife, who was not named, told the network. She continued, Might quote, well pop a little. We were afraid of getting sick. Yeah. Well, not to and afraid that. of poisoning yourself. It's even better because they made a little cocktail. It says the couple reportedly poured some of the fish tank cleaning chemical chloroquine. Is it chloroquine or chloroquine? Chloroquine. You know I don't know. Chloric, but yeah, but he knows. I don't fucking know. Chloroquine phosphate. <laughs> He's not into, a doctor. Into soda and drank it. Oh no! <laughs> Even I would know not to like mix. Like that's fucking pop rocks and coke right there. You take to be yours, fair, you take. To be meat. fair, I mean he he was trying not to get sick, and you never get sick when you're dead. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. That's uh. That's what. That's that's what. I should be hearing at these press conferences. Power of positive thinking, man. <laughs> so Justin's on to give us some uh, expertise on this whole deal. But before we get to that, oh. I uh, I do have one topic that I was thinking about today that I feel is too important to let pass by. Uh, and I think once you hear it, you guys are going to agree with me. This is the return of the segment. So they got away with that, huh? All or, right. Yeah. We have previously highlighted uh, Ralph Northam got away with that, huh? Um, all of Trump's rape accusations. Michael Vick served some prison time, but then did more or less get away with that, huh? And now I don't think Vick qualifies. Yeah, that's that that's, feels extremely shoehorned. That's especially, really not. Especially I mean, no since one, one of our other now. ones, one of our other yeah, ones, yeah. Because was he, a, do we live in a society where people can can like pay for their crimes and move forward with their lives or not? Definitely like, not. Well, not, not that my seems choice. Like a you problem. 
but you know, like, was it wasn't one of the other candidates the guy who uh, like infected all of Puerto Rico with the disease? Oh yeah, Cecil Rhodes. <laughs> yeah, don't <laughs> yeah, he got away with that. That was don't a better put one. him in there with Michael Vick. Okay, I retract Vick. Well, you, you guys <laughs> okay. remember the category, you know? Yes, yes, better than you apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck y'all, it's my segment. So they got away with that haunt today. Focuses on. That guy who faked his death and stole a bunch of people's Bitcoin. What the fuck happened to him? Haven't heard a peep. Oh, that's right. He's just Man. fucking living it up out there. And like, I, uh, have a, I have a very real question. Was that a year ago or months ago? <laughs> I, I think it's closer to a year, right? Is it? I know it was like around Christmas, but I can't remember if it was the most recent one or not. I feel like it was Christmas a year ago, but I could be wrong. Okay. Okay, I don't know. That's an honest question. <laughs> but the story was, we're sure he faked his death, and then there's yeah. been no follow-up to be like, and we found him. He's just maybe in the wind. Yeah. Quadrigo, Quadriga, Quadriga, I think is the name of what it was as I'm looking at it now. <laughs> Quadriga, Quadriga. I, would, I just want to make a list of things to make Jake pronounce now. This has been great. <laughs> <laughs> Chloroquine. <laughs> it looks like the story did actually hit like around the beginning of 2019 there was a okay. very long vanity fair article about it around uh around christmas of 2019 so maybe that's okay, when it came back go. up but also if we can circle back there is 100 percent a stripper in a gas mask uh descending upside down on a very tall pole right now hearing chlora queen being announced <laughs> <laughs> That's a business opportunity. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it it certainly seems that uh, there's there's been because the guy's the guy's name is Gerald Cotton. I just figured that out. I I did not go so far when Fuck I was thinking that. That's about a fake it. name to start with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does sound fake. Uh, whenever whenever I was just wondering about him, I didn't go so far as to Google what his name was. I waited until just now to do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, nothing recent on him. He is just, uh, fucking living it up, able to buy all of the hand sanitizer he wants. Uh, you you gotta, gotta keep an eye on the wife, right? Whenever the wife tries to join him, that's when it's all going to fall apart. Yeah. I'm seeing here that, uh, he may actually be dead because the most recent article about him is lawyers representing the former users of the Quadriga platform are doubling down on a formal request to exhume the exchange's founder's body. Show me the fucking body. Yeah. Show me the body. Y'all say say he's dead, huh? But that was like four months ago, those stories. Yeah, that's true. So still, he's still in the dirt. Yeah. And winning. Something to think about. Anyways. uh, So you're saying it's bad that I just sent like almost all of my uh, remaining money in my Bovada account to my Bitcoin account? I mean, it looks like it's not like the uh, Bitcoin market, I was checking it today, is uh, entirely untouched by COVID-19. I, I would kind of think that, that it's a possibility that it's a, an independent deal, but I'm looking at the last month and it dropped from 9000 to 3000 which I've been told is not good in the investing world. Yeah, <laughs> but the only two jumps it had were the days of the big crashes. Like, it's still basically roughly where it was, like, in, let's say, the beginning of February. Uh, it's down 32% it's, this month. I can go to one uh, one year you're doing great. That's cool. 
I'm just saying it reached super high highs on March 10th and on March 17th. Uh, let's see. I guess. And then, you know. But in any case, it's not exactly the uh, I can benefit off of the stock market crashing tool that I was hoping it would be. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You've got me there, if that's the point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Justin and I were, uh, you know, we've, we've been chatting about the COVID constantly since this started. Um, and he was just saying, uh, you know, that he, he does a job and that most of the time, uh, for, for perfectly legitimate reasons, our listeners would not be inclined to give a shit about his job. And uh, this is the, that rare time when uh, it might be an exception. So, um, you know, Justin, take it away. Justify why any of us should care about your meager existence. Uh, so I've worked in clinical research for 10 years, and I've worked on lots of different projects, uh, some of which are pretty similar to the, what they're trying to rush through to get Remdesivir uh, uh, rem <laughs> to get the thing Gilead, the Gilead uh, GS5734 through uh, to see if it works for people with coronavirus. So what is that? Is that it's just a drug? It doesn't matter what the name is? How do you mean? Like, uh, like what, if I've never heard the words Gilead G five six three four or whatever you just said. So, if so I Gilead's just, a company. Yeah, Gilead's a, a very large pharmaceutical company, and uh, when they start out making every like like possible agent, every possible drug agent gets just a a code because uh, they produce you know probably thousands every year. And then eventually, if it looks like it might go to market, somebody in marketing comes up with a name for it, which is the uh, remdesivir. Uh, but GS5734 is like easy to say, and so that's what people work on. Call it up until the point where it has a real name. I bet those people fucking suck. The guy, who's the marketing just, people. Yeah, the guy whose just job yeah. it is to make some fucking comforting sounding drug name. Yeah, not a fan. I mean, they're. They're kind of constrained too, because they all the like the suffix, the last three letters uh, is deterministic. <laughs> like whatever it's supposed to do needs to be described in the last couple letters. Uh, so you know, it's like horses; like they're really painting themselves into a, cor- a corner over time. <laughs> so this one has to end in, in in veer. Yeah, anything that's antiviral pretty much has to end in vir. Okay, I'll Fair get enough, back to I you, guess. but I can beat this. You you got a better name. If, I, if you give me a day. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I trust you completely. All I have to do is pull up what I do every time I write a parody song, the handy uh, trusted in the medical research field website, rhymezone.com. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, Titiavir? It reminds me of my favorite things, titties. <laughs> that would be my marketing yeah. pitch every time. If you can just tie it back to titties, people are going to buy that shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I think you're onto something. Just thought, just a thought. But anyway, so you're uh, you're working with this, and I I don't know. I'm like, I'm not sure if this interacts directly with uh, your job, but I I think that you're probably paying attention to this stuff enough that you'd be able to answer this question. Um, I'm mainly interested in like, how does this all end? as I think everyone is <laughs> like when, when can I have baseball again? And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if this, uh, Gilead thing, like just does everything they think it, think it does and more, can I have baseball then? Or will we need something else? Uh, so I, I definitely can't answer that question. 
Um, sorry. <laughs> I mean, what is I what think, is the goal of the the Gilead drug? Like total uh, eradication of COVID nineteen or easing of the worst symptoms? So I'm trying to I'm looking at what I've got here just really quick. I can't remember if this specific drug is is uh, I believe it's IV administration only. Um, which would mean that you have to be hospitalized before you can get it. Yeah, it's all intravenous infusion. Um, so if this drug works really well, it will lower the death rate. Okay, which, you know, I'd like to do. Yeah, yeah, But it yeah, doesn't yeah. sound like it guarantees me seeing Luis Roberts stepping up to the plate. And then the big, so the, the big thing with this drug is that it's, it's failed to treat several other things. Um, like it's, it's never been approved to go, to be marketed anywhere. Um, but it's been tried against Ebola and at least one other thing in the past. So we have some safety information, but not a ton. Uh, so it might also prove to treat, um, you know, coronavirus or it might not prove to treat coronavirus and then we're nowhere. But even if it treats coronavirus, if it also blows out your kidneys, then it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, what, like, what's going on here? (laughs) Is is this how all like am I just a dummy for thinking the research is like more uh complex than this? Like they just got this one thing lying around. What about it makes people think that it would treat Ebola or coronavirus yeah. or whatever? So the the first step is always so that there's pre-human um there's always pre-human testing of everything. So when coronavirus popped up when it was isolated, um labs all over the country uh, started buying it as soon as they could or started having it donated from wherever, like like the specific strain. And then they start doing Petri dish tests uh, immediately where they put <coughs> the virus and the drug and they see like in, in a space that makes sense uh, given the context of, of the drug um, to, do, uh, to, testing, to do testing to see whether or not all of the things they have on the shelf, if any of them have activity against this drug, if they can see a reduction of the... Uh, count of of coronavirus in a lab controlled setting to start with and then they move from that into in this case they'd be doing it really quickly usually this takes a period of years into a a, a series of animal models so they'll start with um a lot of times uh, i don't know specifically what they did with these drugs and with with coronavirus but a lot of times they'll they'll move into mice and rats that have had their genomes manipulated so they're much more similar to uh, human immune systems uh, and they'll infect those animals with something with coronavirus or with something similar enough to coronavirus uh, and then they'll test the drug uh, to see whether or not it has efficacy in that and then they'll move to primates uh, and then they'll move into uh, people and uh this is, I guess, just a bit of side trivia. It's only interesting to uh, to me and Jake, but is it still the case that pretty much all the uh, ch- uh, chimp testing in the world or in the U.S. takes place in New Iberia? Do you know anything about that? Is oh, that a dumb I have absolutely no idea. Okay. I know that every university I've ever worked at has a large animal research facility, and if you even get in the elevator near it, it immediately smells like hay and ape shit. Okay, um, so there are <laughs> monkeys like at U Chicago. Can I say that you work at U Chicago, or I should? Have yeah, I don't you? care. Okay. I mean, Justin Bell is not like a is known to gare. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at Southwestern, at Michigan, at U Chicago, I've known where the animal testing centers are. I have no idea what they do in there. I've never worked for them. Um, the, I mean, the person I work for, you, it, animals, man. I know, but like how that <laughs> functions, how it goes, you know, if it's all yeah. like what end of the pipeline it's on, if they're testing specific drugs or if they're doing something that's way f- closer to the, like the problem development side of the pipeline, I don't know. If you have more um, questions, I watched contagion last night. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I've been meaning to watch that, but I got to wait till Hannah's not around because she does not yeah. want to watch that. Yeah, I'm in a similar bail. boat. So uh, <laughs> first thing, I think it's the one in New Iberia. They just make them play baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the no, I'm sorry. I got it mixed made. up. That's where uh, TNT films the monkey at the movies. <laughs> right. is, all I know is it's the largest primate research uh, facility. That's like one of their claims to fame. Even though I thought I'm it was sure the people, only place where they could where they were allowed to do it. That that's does, that does not seem right. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> I know it's one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest one. And my second thought was. As you're describing this drug, which I'm not going to go over three. And that's where Jake's wife is from. I want to make sure everyone remembers that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why we're yeah. mentioning oh, it's in, it. It's uh, in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Iberia, yeah. But oh, unrelated to the primate testing facility, uh, her mm-hmm. her birth. Um, she was born in the primate testing <laughs> facility. It's kind of weird that we are. I feel like we're a lot. We're uh, counting on. The last kid picked at the playground to solve a world fucking pandemic. There's some like, of that. Uh, you kind of haven't really been useful here. Right. Here. It's like uh, like Rudolph is going to say, it just seems weird to <laughs> yeah. me that they would just try it on all this other stuff and be like, I don't you know. Show shit, no discernible <laughs> skills, but we're putting all of our <laughs> eggs in this basket. Right. Yeah, no. It's it's definitely, it's a, it's a one-tool kid and they think they finally found, you know, the whatever in the scheme to make it work so did you know uh speaking of contagion i read an uh an article the other day an interview with this guy very very suspect of him just based on the fact uh it's an epidemiologist whose name is actually larry brilliant oh hell yeah he is uh he's uh he was the technical advisor for uh, contagion but he's he's well respected in this space i guess and uh interview was not super uh super optimistic fellas the movie's no, not super optimistic no <laughs> it's gonna no. get really bad that it's seems like two years of that pure seems pretty chaos. obvious yeah yeah so maybe that, i don't know if that helps answer your baseball thing <laughs> <laughs> because right now with regard to uh the intravenous uh application of this drug like right now am i understanding this correctly that if you get sick and you go to the hospital they kind of just help you through it yeah 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 breathing and fluid and that sort of thing right so they put you on supplemental oxygen and then eventually if they have to they intubate you and put you on life support um and then you pull through or you don't so this would be something where you would uh they would would hook you up to an iv is this like first whenever you get in there uh so i don't know it'll be that's the kind of thing that these studies are meant to determine if mm-hmm. it works when it when it works best the appropriate time point to start administering it. Okay. Um, I think that so there, there's two clinical trials. There's a phase two and a phase three that are open right now um, for this drug. And then <laughs> I found I didn't expect to find this, but I found there's one expanded access uh, that we'll get to in a minute that I think is just fun that you guys will enjoy. Um, so the phase two and the phase three are both, they're looking at the same drug from different angles. Um, and then NIH has a, uh, or excuse me, there's a phase two from NIH and there's two phase threes from the company itself. Um, one that's uh, the, the agent against standard of care uh, open label and one that's the agent against standard of care blinded um, with a placebo. Um, so uh, what was your question? Sorry. <laughs> Was it me or Jake that asked the question? I don't know these things, man. 
Okay. Um, so the point is, oh, right, right, right. When will it be I used in, yeah, in treatment? In no, you're fine. Minutes. You're fine. You're fine. Uh, so most likely the outcome of those trials will look at, uh, we'll try and determine when specifically it would be used. Um, the inclusion don't currently require uh, really terrible disease. You have to be on supplemental oxygen. Um, you obviously have to be, you have to ha have visible pneumonia on, uh, CT or, or x-ray. Um, but, it, uh, oh yeah, yeah. And then supplemental oxygen. So, you know, probably they'll figure out through this process, if it works, if it works better using it early or late, um, that kind of stuff. And so what, what is it that you're actually doing right now? What do you mean? Yeah. yeah like, like what's to... What's your involvement? To figure in this, this stuff. Oh, none. Okay, cool. Uh, it's open. It's open at the University of Chicago, but our so I work for uh, like a central oversight office, um, and we help uh, other groups work on projects uh, that don't necessarily have a ton of infrastructure in that uh, department or division. Mm -hmm. um, but the ID section at U Chicago is is mature, so they're running it all on their own. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you about vaccine timelines okay uh because i've it it seems like with a lot of this stuff and, and i don't know that necessarily if this applies to uh the drug to help treat it as much as it does to the vaccine but like you hear the story of the lady in washington right that knew what was happening couldn't get fda approval i think i have the timeline there right just decided to start testing the the previous like the pre-existing flu swab she had for right. a test that she had developed herself and, and so that's that's a that, very different. So that's, like, that's, could she go to jail? Could she go to jail for that? Like, what sort no. of legal trouble are you in? So, so the that's a, the whole other end of the pipeline. Um, so that has to do with like lab certification, um, which is like I felt like the way that that was represented in the in the media was not as forgiving to regulators as it probably should have been. They were slow to act, but there's also a real, really big problem uh, if someone is offering a test that later proves to not be accurate. Um, and so, you know, you false positives, false negatives are as dangerous as no testing. Um, and more could have been done just to validate her test and to get that running. Um, the short version, the short answer to your question is that the worst thing that, uh, the FDA can do is tell you that they'll never approve a project that you're on ever again. Uh, I don't think there's like legal penalties for individuals. Okay. Um, okay. and if you're, if you're, how can I say this politically? Uh, if you're well backed and if you've done a lot of other things, if you skirt the rules a few times, um, you're nothing really is going to happen to you. And in this case, it feels like it was such a, a pressing matter of, of, right. like, of, just, of frankly, national security to where she was, you know, the ethics were at least a little fuzzier. Um, but then my question from there on the vaccine side, that is, which a, I know is, not like, that is a plot line in uh, contagion. There's a guy in San Francisco who's not allowed to be working on it that's like, God damn, the consequences. I'm growing. Yeah. It. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a plot line like that in, uh, in half of movies. Um, yeah, yeah. But now we're faced with this on the vaccine front because I don't know enough, like 1% of enough, to be able to sort of tease out what the possible downsides of throwing the ethical caution to the wind when it comes to developing a vaccine like is this actually going to happen much faster than it normally would and if it does how bad could it be if it's 
Like, what's the worst case scenario of them skipping all the stuff that they normally would have to go through? So, uh, first, I have to admit some ignorance, which is that the the regulatory framework and the the way that they design they design trials for vaccines is different than they design trials for drugs. And I've never personally worked on a vaccine, so I probably can't answer your question in too much specifics. Um, I can say that uh, my personal concern, my personal like opinion concern for all of this. Uh, is is basically just political interference. I think the FDA is is very thoughtful. Um, they're fairly conservative in the way they approach trials uh, and the way they approach data. Um, I've worked on several trials that showed uh, good efficacy in what they were trying to achieve, but didn't meet their primary endpoint in the way that the trial had been been designed originally. And the FDA made them rerun it or redesign it uh, when they move forward with a lot of you know concern and, and revision. Um, I, you know, I, I think whatever the FDA was saying originally that it's a year to eighteen months is the fastest you can get a vaccine out the door. It's probably just that's probably right. Uh, and if you see it faster than that, I'd be really worried. <laughs> that's my personal opinion. Yeah, like um, I've read a thing today that uh, there's some company that I, I believe had gotten approval from the FDA to like uh, run the animal trials and the human trials side by side, and were like injecting okay. some lady, and like they had a picture of the lady, um, right? Like now, and I'm like. Man, I you know, not knowing anything, uh, doesn't it kind of defeat the purpose of the animal trials if you're just fucking shooting it into people now? Which like, uh, I, 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 on one hand, I like felt heartened that they were okay with it, but on the other hand, I was puzzled that they were okay with it. Yeah, I mean, they might. There's probably different designs for what they're going to do uh, with people. Most likely, you're probably testing to make sure that it doesn't hurt you. With animals, you're going to inoculate them and then you're going to expose them to the disease, which I don't think is a component of vaccine testing anymore but mm -hmm. i could be wrong uh jake i I, th I think i'm actually um just slightly qualified to uh give you a little bit about what what are the downside risks just because today i was reading about uh i've mentioned this before but um I, I finished reading the lecture about um the uh 2001 anthrax attacks guy that was talking about the history of biological weapons in uh in america and um for the uh gulf war Bush knew that Reagan had sent uh, anthrax cultures to Iraq for them to use against Iran. So whenever we attacked Iraq, they knew full well that it was quite possible that they would try and hit our soldiers with the exact same anthrax we had given them. So they had an experimental vaccine that they were like, fuck it, we're giving it to every troop in America uh, and also every troop in the UK and uh, offered it to the, the French troops. And France was like, yeah, we don't want to just fucking inject our uh, people with uh, some vaccine that may or may not work. And uh, if you look up uh, Gulf War Syndrome, or maybe you're already familiar with uh, Gulf War Syndrome, um, it showed up in the U.S. and U.K. troops and not in the French troops. So, uh, you know, they've never, like, conclusively... And I believe that, uh, at least at the time of this uh, lecture, the U.S. had not, like, officially acknowledged in any capacity that Gulf War Syndrome was a real thing that existed. And, in fact, it instructed VA doctors to just tell anyone showing signs of it that they had too much stress and that if they just relieved oh, okay. their stress, they'd be fine. <laughs> um, you know, play, a little, play a little guitar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so that that is that is the downside of rushing a vaccine. You could end yeah, up with Gulf just, War syndrome. Yeah. The downsides are that it either creates a disease uh, that wouldn't have been there, or that it doesn't actually inoculate anybody, and coronavirus sweeps through again.
Yeah. Those would be the two primary bad things. Well, it uh, seems like we're definitely going to get to a point as every couple days, you know, I think we're way less qualified on the actual technical side of this than you are. So we're just kind of looking at it from the standpoint of, well, two weeks ago, this guy was asking if we can just use a regular flu vaccine. And today he said he wants the churches to be packed on Easter. Easter, yeah. Great. So it seems really, really likely that, and I don't even know what sort of uh, authority he would have in this space, but that the second somebody tells him that, hey, there's something that might kind of work, he's going to like mandate that it be injected into me and my family. Yeah. So that there's kind of a, the, the chloroquine stuff has actually been, so that, that isn't a currently marketed product, like it's available uh, in pharmacies. And so the way it works is that pre-marketing, the only way to get access to something is through, through a specific FDA permission, uh, through a mechanism called an IND. Um, and so that's, that's why the Gilead product is held up and, and effectively restricted to only uh, uh, participants in clinical trials. Uh, chloroquine is, is an approved drug. And once a drug is on the market, a physician using their clinical dr- judgment can prescribe it for anything. Um, and then you do studies on that. And, you know, if you want to do a study to add an indication to add what a drug can be used for per the marketing materials, uh, you have to go through the FDA and acquire another IND. But if you're just a physician and you want to prescribe that because you think it works, which is common enough, um, you can do that. So I don't know this for sure, but I've been told that you basically can't get chloroquine in America right now. Like even if you have lupus and you take it every day or whatever, I don't know how often it's dosed. If you take it in the prescribed manner, uh, your pharmacy can't fill it because a bunch of selfish people prescribed it for themselves to start hoarding it. Um, which is a bad, it's a bad bit. That's fucked up. How, how crucial is it for the lupus stuff? Is it like people are going to die of lupus because this is, I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. I, I'd, you'd have to ask somebody that knows anything about lupus and anything about that drug, which is not me. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so you you were talking about uh, with me about your how your your uh, previous job at uh, mm-hmm. Michigan sucks, then uh, how they're they're doing some more some more crucial work. What what are they doing there exactly? So they're the the work is the same. Um, it's getting these clinical trials up and running. So the normal the normal startup process uh, between contracting, um, regulatory permission, um, doing the logistical work to get a clinical trial from the day you get the first notice from the sponsor until you enroll your first patient is like six months to a year on a good day, um, sometimes longer. And so these clinical trials. Uh, the process of starting them, of initiating them began this month and they're like open and enrolling, which is like difficult to describe how much work that takes. Um, and so when the people I worked for at Michigan are, I started an infectious disease there and there's a couple doctors in specific that I worked for the whole time I was there. And the people I handed my job off to when I left, like have just, that's been their whole lives is just getting this stuff through specifically the regulatory framework at, at the IRB at Michigan to get it up and running. Um, which is like, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to say jealous, but I am a little jealous like that I was there for four years and like, we didn't get to do any potentially life-saving earth changing work. And like, I'm gone eight fucking months and they're off and running. So yeah, now, <laughs> now you stop working on the dick pills. Shed the dead weight. <laughs> I mean, that's not totally wrong. You know, I'd spent 
you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we got pulled in a lot of different directions. And I, at the end of my time there, I, I was not doing as much on the ID stuff as I would have liked. And now it's like the central focus and it's super interesting. So let me so, ask you, uh, so yeah. we've covered, uh, we've covered a little bit about uh, treatment, a little bit about vaccines. The part of this that I'm the most confused by is testing. Okay. And, uh, the two elements of that, that I think, uh, I'm confused by the first one being, Maybe the answer is as easy as I possibly suspect it is, but is it totally politically motivated when people come at the administration for rejecting the WHO's test? And I guess the flip side of that is, was the reason for rejecting it totally political? And then the other part is, is the reason why we're testing at what seemed to be such an inferior rate all because the test is expensive? Like how much? Like per person, like what does that cost per person type thing? Do you have any idea? So I don't know, uh, on the cost side specifically, I I think that I don't know anything that you guys don't know or, you know, anything that's not available in the papers on the, why we're using our own test and not the WHO test. Um, but I do think it's pretty clear that it's not politically motivated to criticize, um, especially at that midpoint in February when, uh, the CDC had sent out their tests and state labs couldn't validate it. And it was clear there was a problem either in the design or in the production of the test that at that point we didn't make a right turn and start buying tests that were known to be effective, uh, while we, you know, reworked our own. Uh, I mean, that I think objectively was a, a huge fucking mistake and possibly one that we won't recover from in the long term um, as we try and deal with this. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, so I don't know why testing is still so limited. Um, but I do think it's pretty clear that what's been said publicly by the administration about the levels of production of tests is not accurate. Um, I I don't think that, I think if there were just tests floating around and it was cost-based, there would be states that cared about people more than money that would be paying for the tests in their state. And that's not happening anywhere. Um, And also at this point, like in New York, it's clearly uh, past the point where money matters. Um, So again, if they had the test to start proactively testing people, I would assume they would be doing it and they're still restricted to symptomatic cases um, at a minimum. If it's, I don't know, maybe it's even worse than that there still. But the the point is just that like, uh, it seems, it seems obvious that the issue is supply, which is fucking crazy. How hard is it to make? Like, let's say that I said tomorrow, like, is it a matter of we don't have the la- like the amount of capacity to do it or is it a time thing? Like, um, we just can't make it fast enough. Like, is it crazy to think you could just turn, like, an entire city into this is what this city, like, kind of like in World, War- in World Wars type <laughs> thing? Yeah. Like, yeah, I think what you're getting into there is the difference is that a tractor is similar enough to a tank uh, right. and you're getting into some really finicky chemistry. Um, there are some, some background elements that like the, the RNA extraction and, and, uh, uh, the the different materials that are used in PCR, like you could probably ramp up production for those. Um, but it might, but the specific test, I think, I don't know enough about, um, that test to tell you anything about what can be done to increase its production. Like I just, you know, I wouldn't want to guess. So as far as the the vaccine stuff, like I, you know, we, we keep on hearing, and I, I don't I don't know if we're wandering out of your depth with this one, but uh, uh, you keep hearing like you know it's it's going to take a year. Like I, 
the the article that I was reading where they said like they're they're shooting some lady up with stuff right now um, yeah. was basically like if this is if this works and it's great and like you know they 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 figure out tomorrow that it's a hundred percent effective uh, that it'll be a year from then that it'll be like in the hands like that it'll take them that long to make enough that like it makes an impact um, okay. and I, I I just didn't know if you had any insight into like why I mean you have to make enough doses and i i, I don't know short like, answer it I don't like, know. Uh, everything i'm reading is that it's it's a lot harder to make pills quickly or a lot harder to make vaccines quickly than it is to make pills quickly and i you know i don't know you, yeah i mean you're, you're, the, probably the biggest thing is that your quality control is really Im- important i don't know what the specifics of this vaccine are if they're using an inert virus uh it's really important that it's inert for example sure um and you also have to make sure that they're whatever you're producing is actually effective at inoculating people that you're, that you're reproducing what was, what was approved for use. Uh, and then it, there's the scale. There's like hundreds of millions of people in this country, uh, billions worldwide. And if it's going to work, it's got to work. It's had, there has to be enough, you know, to be, uh, distributed broadly. So I don't know. Do you, um, what, do you have any, any guesses to like what the, the real danger of, uh, uh, vaccine deniers is like like if if we if we have enough for everyone and like uh you know i don't know what 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 percentage of people do we have any guesses are like uh anti-vax people like 20 (laughs) i don't know could that be enough to like fuck up the whole thing (laughs) uh i don't know it probably depends on the pers- I don't know. The short answer is I don't know. Always. Uh, the I don't know. I'm not even going to guess. That's definitely. I'm crossing a line into things where I'm guessing it like yeah, real science that is known somewhere. I mean, it probably gets into like what percentage of people who get the uh, inoculation it, it doesn't take, right? Like, and how close you are to not having herd immunity uh, at, at your starting line if everybody takes the vaccine, and then if you have a percentage of people who remain naive to the disease, and you add to that the percentage of people who get the vaccine and the vaccine vaccine's not effective, and that's a big enough cohort uh, that the disease can remain endemic inside that population, then the vaccine, you know, doesn't stop the disease. So I've, right? I've, I've heard the term herd immunity a lot of times, and I, I think I know what it means. It sounds simple <laughs> enough, but like, uh, yeah. I, I, I would love it if you'd go into detail a little bit more about how it works. I mean, I don't know if I can give you much more detail than it's, there's a certain percentage of people that have to be immune to a disease compared to the rate, uh, the, the infectiousness of that disease where you can expect someone to have the disease and not transmit it. Like, uh, would it be fair to say, and you know, both you guys weigh in if I sound like an idiot, I'm not like, uh, you know, I, I, I know you're not a, a doctor, Justin. We're just uh, we're just shooting the shit amongst friends. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's the case that that COVID nineteen is is the worst uh, thing floating around in the world. Um, I just think like like you know the Spanish flu or whatever. Like we all just we're uh, we're resistant to it, right? Like we we ha- our body has the capability to fight it. It's not like it's like like if you took a you know the the way that the uh, the Native Americans were whenever Columbus showed up, and that there's you know all these uh, terrible diseases like something like smallpox or polio or whatever um, could well be worse than uh, the coronavirus, but like we've just figured out how to work with them. Um, well, smallpox the, the we eradicated is we through vaccination. Wanna, what's that? 
Smallpox be eradicated through vaccination. I mean, I think that's a worse disease if it ever got back out, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I'm. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Um, is is like uh, it, it like, and what's going on here is this is the worst disease that we don't have antibodies already in our body to fight against it, right? So I think there's two things. Uh, first is that even a bad flu strain, um, we do have some things that are effective against the flu, like Tamiflu works, and then the flu vaccine can be designed on an annual basis to try and target specific um, strains. Uh, so you have two things that sort of, that you know, hold the lid on the pot a little bit. Um, and this this is something that gets pretty deep into, uh, the, the next thing is something that gets pretty deep into like the bio, biology specifically. Um, but my understanding is that, that this strain of coronavirus uh, attacks uh, a specific component of, of the cells in our lungs. I think it's the ACE2 uh, that other diseases have not in the past. And that, so that sort of increases its, its uh, potential to be dangerous to individuals. And that it also makes it harder for our bodies to adapt to it quickly. I, that's, I'm, I'm summarizing things I've read from other people at that point. That is not on my own authority and, and really sure. y'all should just read about it separately. <laughs> nah, but, do that. No, okay. I, stuff. I know we're a little right. short on time and I wanted to, I wanted to tell you all about, so there, there's a few different, so all the information I'm getting just to keep, make sure I'm keeping myself clean on public versus private sources. Everything I've said sp that's specific is from clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, and so I, I spent a fair bit of time on clinicaltrials.gov determining what's there and what's not. Uh, and I, I found that there are currently uh, a total of four approved uh, trials in the, in the U.S. for uh, the GS, the Gilead product. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is NIH, two is, is our Gilead sponsor, sponsored, they're the real clinical trials. The last one is an, an expanded access, uh, <laughs> an expanded access program. Uh, expanded access essentially means that you can, you can, you have permission from the FDA to use the drug uh, within uh, the inclusion criteria that are specified, um, but with the understanding that the data uh, will be not necessarily used in a uh, application to, for approval for the drug, like you're not necessarily expecting to collect great data. You just, you have a reason that you've shown the FDA uh, that gives you permission to use the drug more broadly. Do you want to guess who, who is the sponsor of that, uh, who got it through, and uh, who, who owns that uh, very specific expanded access treatment program? Trump University? Department of Defense. Oh. <laughs> sure. And the first, the first inclusion criteria is that you have to be DOD affiliated personnel to, to or emergency essential civilian employees of the armed forces to uh, get uh, the GS, you know, fifty-seven thirty-four in the context of coronavirus. Wasn't uh, wasn't Rummy involved with Gilead at some point? Ooh, was he? I don't know. Good for him. I, I remember hearing his name tied to some large, I don't know if you even call it a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm look that but up. I'm pretty sure that he was yeah, somehow the chairman involved of Gilead. in that. Oh, good for, for real? him. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and that was before the administration, right? So he just kind of slid right over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah, 1997, yeah. he was the head of them. In 2005, here's a story from CNN. Defense Secretary Rumsfeld sees growth in Gilead's stake. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's another headline. Donald Rumsfeld makes $5 million killing on bird flu drug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We have he an was awesome always country that I think is good. 
<laughs> he was always he was my go-to like in the especially the second bush term like pre-2006 uh he was always my go-to like you know in you're having your decorum debate on like would you would you punch a government official on the street just because it'd be worth it even though you know it would hurt your argument uh you know on fox news or whatever and i was always like you know you'd fucking hit rumsfeld you know you would you can't help <laughs> yeah, yourself you do the time yeah. you might be able Apple. to beat my ass though Whereas, like, you, know, you Paul, just want to find Br- out. Paul Brimmer, I am sending into the third row. <laughs> yeah, those <laughs> those curves those curves are still working in the right direction for you, though. At this point, I think you got him. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> anybody was, uh, that served anybody sorry, that served ahead. in the Ford administration, I think you can dust, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's on you if you can't. Um, I, I watched a, a Vox thing on uh, the wet markets. You guys seen that? You know about the wet markets? I'm sure you do. I know about them, of course. I've never I know seen of them, them now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess I just like: Are there lots of viruses? And and this is also a, a thing. Like contagion's not uh, talking about the wet market specifically, but it's like it, it it understands this whole thing of like that this comes from bats and you know like that there's there's strains of the flu that are circulating in animals that are not us but are like similar to us that uh if they just have one mutation or whatever could could jump to us are the is it the case that like uh we're waiting on this mutation and like once the mutation occurs it's going to hit humans no matter what or uh uh you know are there tons of things in like the deepest jungles right now that um we're just probably never going to catch because we just don't go there. Like that was the case know, with man. Ebola too. Like like that there was a that, that that's what the hot zones about is um you know trying to find the uh, the specific cave in Africa where uh and and they they are they got a guess that the book ends without them being conclusive about uh whether or not they found the cave. But just basically like, you know, it's a cave in deepest Africa like if you never walked into it then like you know, we, we never would have had Ebola and like maybe there's like 20 other Ebolas except worse that are just like hanging out in various caves like that, you know, we, we just might never come into contact with. Like the, the Vox thing was making the point that uh, the, these wet markets that like they, they basically are, everyone knows they're dangerous. Everyone knows that's where SARS came from. And uh, whenever SARS happened, they were like, no wet markets at all for a couple months then you guys come on back because it's like an incredible source of lobbying money like it's it's kind of like uh you know casinos or something here where like everyone understands like you know it might have some drag on society but like there's just their 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 uh place in the world is is uh uh, very minuscule compared to their lobbying might like just there's very various industries that have that understand that for us to exist we have to take like 70 percent of our profits and just send it to political contributions but then we'll still get to keep that 30 so that's nice um mm-hmm. and wet markets operate as that you know where we're like they they know that, that it's going to take a lot of sucking up to the government for them to continue to exist and so they've been doing that and so they, they you know it's it's basically saying like if, if chinese politicians weren't so corrupt then the entire world wouldn't have been brought to its knees right now um and but it's not directly saying that it's more like lightly implying it and so I, that's I'm, wild to me like <laughs> it's they very have fucking that, wild the, the apparatus with which to lobby like i mean i've seen something similar to this in in thailand yeah. I mean, what I would imagine qualifies as that. And, and if you're telling me that they have any sort of, I mean, I guess it's probably not organization in the sense that you need for a lobbying campaign. It's probably more just like a shakedown. Uh, but 
that's it doesn't feel like there's any coordination whatsoever to the general transactions much less to <laughs> we're paying the government uh and an onerous excise here to stay operating like i would never have thought that yeah it seems really re- and also it seems weird to me that china would take the money knowing how many people like cuz at the end of the day like yeah they're it's a murderous regime but they don't want like all of the they don't want to wreck their entire economy right no I they, mean, they would prefer I mean, they only, they only have twice before for political reasons <laughs> i guess that's true the great yeah the great leap forward and and the so, uh, cultural revolution just just those two just twice yeah, yeah i guess that's it just seems weird to me that they would be willing to 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 take this sort of a hit over letting people still sell pandolin ribs. No, I'll, the thing that I think is interesting is that uh, they, after SARS, they may not have shut down the wet market, but they did like build enormous infrastructure so that the next time there was an outbreak, regardless of source, uh, they had things in place to activate to deal with that outbreak. Um, we also know that like outbreaks are not specific to China. And even if China shut down all of their wet market, like MERS didn't come from there. Ebola didn't come from there. It almost seems like it might be an argument for why, uh, in the same way that everyone reading has societal benefit, uh, everyone having access to healthcare might have societal benefit and having the people who design that healthcare, uh, have a full and, and complete knowledge and understanding and the funding required, uh, to prepare for large scale disasters. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's something we should try. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I yeah. just I, I I look at something like SARS. Yeah. I, I I certainly agree. Uh, it's a good idea. I would like to try it. Um, but I, I wonder if like uh, the the fact that SARS failed to have a large scale impact across the world, um, like as opposed to just in Asia, and the fact that like this has like is there something about this specific virus that is more aggressive and difficult to tackle, or like you know I, I saw the New York Times thing about how the virus spreads that was a very nice uh, little little thing they put together just showing how close that specific like there was one market where like i think it's 27 of the first 41 people that got in- infected all had visited mm-hmm. there so like they're yeah you know they, they, don't, they don't have like an animal that they can hold up where they were like we know it was this one uh but like you know uh do the math um and that that market is like next to the big train station and then they've got the the illustration using cell phone data of like where everyone passing through that train station like just the fact that this was so close to the chinese lunar new year um seems to have played you know some considerable role except, in the fact except that, that it, it didn't really break out that way like they canceled they canceled the new year and they didn't let anybody leave the state where it started in like their outbreaks stayed mostly in the the state where where uh, Wuhan is right yeah no i mean that's certainly where it was where it was worst hit and they did some work but like you know may, maybe you can tell the new york times that, that, that they don't know what the, i mean i don't know uh but th- oh, that, like, now somebody's going to go to bat for their employer <laughs> yeah that's right dude yeah i mean i i i i owe them big after the uh, the chicken sandwich bit so i I've, I've, I've got to <laughs> got to stick up for them here uh but then, so you know I'm, I'm, the, the thing I'm looking I, at is like the the cell phone tracking data of showing people flowing out from Wuhan at that specific time, and then like matching it up to cases after. And like, uh, yeah, Wuhan's definitely the worst, and like they definitely were somewhat effective in in stopping the spread, but but obviously not totally effective. Um, so I don't know. I, I just I wonder if like 
if what's going on here is that we're facing like the worst virus, like because the virus itself is nasty, or if like we just got fucked and like if if uh, SARS had happened closer to uh, you know something that had caused the mass migration of people across that country, then uh, we would have been facing the same thing. So just to to go back, so I got my tracker pulled up. So it's not my personal tracker; it's the one I have access to. So China has eighty one thousand cases, sixty seven thousand of them are in Hubei. Yeah. So it's very localized. But like, I, like, like obviously it was not... The other, uh, like Beijing has 558. The neighboring, the province next to it, which uh, Henan has 1,200. The other neighboring province has 600. Uh, like it's, it's super localized in the Wuhan area. So I, I don't know if it really spread that way. Like I think it's that the virus, once it does get out, if you don't deal with it effectively, has the potential to do what it's doing or did do in Wuhan everywhere else, right? Yeah, but like obviously it didn't stay in, in Wuhan exclusively or else, you know, we wouldn't be in the spot we're in, right? No. But that- yeah, yeah, no, and I agree. But I'm saying that inside China, once they recognized what it was, they were able to much more effectively deal with it as it spread, whereas when it showed up here, it's totally out of control. And in Italy, and to, to an extent in Spain and, and, and Germany, in France. Right? Uh, that all makes sense to me. Okay, yeah. But I mean, we're just, we're not really capable of pulling off what they are. Yeah, that's what I felt like for a long time. And I think we would be with more preparation. But I think, like, the, the comparison is that, like, H1N1, the, the big swine flu in 2010, 2011, started in maybe the U.S., but it was definitely first recognized in Mexico. And, like... We were the, you know, sort of the epicenter of that whole pandemic. It just wasn't as deadly of a disease. I think it's 60 million people caught it, uh, but it just wasn't as deadly. And so, like, here we didn't adapt to it. Like, we had, you know, SARS also wasn't, the first SARS also wasn't as deadly, but China looked at it and was like, holy shit, if that was worse, (laughs) we would have been fucked. And they built a whole infrastructure program around it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, we, I just wonder if, we like, had a the similar reason it's near, worse we had like a, was circumstantial or uh, endemic to the virus. It sounds uh, to me like the answer is it's both, dude. Sure. Like, if, yeah. it's a, <laughs> if it's a deadlier virus and it attacks those inhibitors, then in a way that we were not previously used to, and then we're also turning down test kits and uh, telling people it's fine, you know, a little perfect storm action there. I don't know. Yeah. It, seems, it, it, seems does seem like this will, it does seem like something like this will happen again, but you'd have to figure that your reaction to it will be, well, I don't know. I guess I'm being a little bit optimistic by thinking that, in, at least in this country, we're going to learn from anything. But uh, it seems like some of these, other, like the, whether it's building the SAR centers in China or the way that, uh, South Korea reacted. Obviously, they were way better prepared for it the second time around, right? I mean, yeah. Only hope here is that in ten years, whenever something emerges from another cave, um, that we're better prepared for it. That's about all I got. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's a safe bet to be absolutely certain nothing like this is ever going to happen again. I, I, I mean that, you know, like like we we went a hundred years without it happening. The idea that it would happen twice in your lifetime, like, is very unlikely. And, and really, even I guess I'm not like a hundred percent studied up on this, but I I don't even know that there was like things in the 1800s that were like on the scale of the Spanish flu. And I think that we're still like well behind there, right? And probably won't catch it. Like the Spanish flu was crazy. Yeah, Spanish flu was, was off the rails. Yeah. 
But I, I but I'm, I'm just saying, like, uh, I don't know. This shit, like, think- it's fairly unprecedented, and it will likely remain so. I don't, I don't think we're like in a new world where uh, viruses like this are going to pop up and shut down the global economy like once every couple decades or anything, right? I would take that if I had to place a bet. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I you don't take know what? I, I, that, that we are I, or that we aren't. That we are. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like if you look at 100 years since the Spanish flu and you say it's like you're treating those 100 years as almost like equal consecutively when really like the last 20 years have nothing in common with the 20 years from 1918 to 1938. So if this is the way the economy is going to work. Now, that's why I think that if there's anything and this is what's would take us another hour. If there's anything that will come from this, it will be almost like a receding of globalization. Yes. That seems, yeah. That, that, that if you don't see it again, it's because we have like, tr- you know, borders come back and the whole, you know, golden arches theory is shattered. And I guess that applied more to war. Um, but still, that that to me seems like the most, lo- now, I don't even know if it's logical, but the most likely response worldwide is that it's not as easy to just up and go to Thailand with your girlfriend. And I think we're going to, for a while, end up on the wrong side of that, right? Like, what the, what country that has c- successfully controlled coronavirus is going to let in Americans in the near future? Right. Uh, and I don't know what that means in the long term, but if we continue to have, if we, it kind of looks like we're going to have the worst outbreak in the world. Uh, and if that happens, and then if we totally, if we continue to fail to control it, um, I I don't know what it looks like, but it's very it's a very different world than anything we could have imagined. Um, I, I guess know. just I I know we're uh, we're winding down here and uh, gone way past the uh, the stop sign, but uh, the, I I'll just say like it's it seemed I've been alarmed at the degree to which people have accepted the argument that what we're choosing between is uh, whether or not to go back to business as usual and then the economy's humming. Or uh, just like uh, you know, uh, yeah. contain the outbreak, and and I like like I know that I'm not going to be able to convince the president otherwise. But it seems like there's at least some people that are taking it seriously. The idea that like uh, if if you just uh, turn the lights back on, everything would go back to normal, but some people would get sick. Like the economy is way more fucked if a bunch of people die. Like if right. we if we just stop going out and like uh you know th- th- take this short term hit whenever everyone gets the all clear and like it's actually safe to go back out we're all still like there's going to be effects it's going to suck it's fucking terrible there's damage that's never going to be undone but like people will still exist who can buy things and do jobs and produce things like right. if you just let you know uh you know what even if it's like one percent of the population like is not there to spend and produce like it's really really fucking bad uh, and the cost so, of caring for one million people as they die or excuse me one percent of people which would be what three and a third million people yeah like is enormous and yes yeah yeah, and then all no. the other people that will die because the hospitals can't do anything for them while they're trying to handle the, like everybody goes back to work and the next car accident that happens, they're like, well, we can't do much. Kind of full here. Yes, yes. I, uh, it's, it's, it's insanely intellectually dishonest and somehow still not surprising to me that during the middle of a outbreak of this size that 
these people are still saying, please do not listen to these scientists. <laughs> yeah. I've been blown away by how little everyone's changed, to be honest. Like how you know, little adjustment. Good of on life. us, man. <laughs> did y'all Yeah. Did y'all see Ann Coulter today? I did not. Ann Coulter put up a graph that she argued said that uh see this is uh this is not actually as bad as the flu for most people because she had misread it and she thought it was saying that only people above 60 uh had a higher mortality rate. It actually showed that in every single age group except people under 30 it, it has a higher mortality rate than the like the normal flu. Uh and then it also showed that it had like 10% mortality if you were over 70, which is fucking crazy. And she was making Jesus. that argument for like, yeah, just let it run its course. It's just 10, 90 is going to, you know, be fine. <laughs> yeah, but. no, the, the best thing for the economy is what we're doing now. Like it's it's terrible right. for the economy what we're doing now, but it is so much better than the alternatives. And the only way to it's keep to the it, Tyson like the, Chandler thing, you know? <laughs> the harder we slam the door closed, the shorter we have to keep it closed. Like that's the thing that just doesn't seem to make sense to people. But like if we really stop transmission by really carefully social distancing for maybe a month, that might be enough. Right. Uh, but if we don't, then it'll just go on for fucking ever. Yeah, dude, I'm looking at this now and I think she genuinely thinks that if there's zeros in a number, it doesn't matter if they're at the beginning <laughs> or the end. Yeah. The, yeah. Like She's basically illiterate is the, <laughs> yeah. Like what? Yeah. Point oh six. Yes. There's a six in there, but it is not a that larger makes... amount than four <laughs> than point four oh. <laughs> yeah. It matters where the zero is. What are Tough you? Look. That is Tough. incredible. Tough look for our girl. Wow. Yeah, and Dan Patrick's whole thing, uh, you know, the, the, the thing he was specifically saying is that he would be willing to die for America to uh, keep on going the way it is, and uh, I just want to take him up on that deal. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take it up and put it on pay-per-view as a way to sort of stimulate the economy. How about that? Absolutely. Yeah, just a <laughs> Truman Show kind of got right. a deal with just him <laughs> wasting away who would who knew that these death panels would come in so handy that we built you know like we, yeah. we installed them all over the country in 2007 <laughs> and uh 2008 2009 more my shit is running together probably more like 2012 but we yeah, someone had a wall street journal side by side of their coverage of death panels of like could you imagine one elderly person being pressured to die with their uh you know coverage recently of like listen you know i mean they're just old people like <laughs> <laughs> well i think i think we were supposed to get the death panels up in 2011 but then the the website crashed so it was 2012 yeah, yeah that's, that's a, a simpler time <laughs> We probably don't make enough out of how bad that rollout was that the yes. the, the Geo Cities got oh. overloaded. Yeah. It's basically what's happening to Netflix now with Joe Exotic is how we rolled out <laughs> Obamacare. It's yeah, like, try, trying to run the whole NHS through a Zanga page. Not, not a great plan. <laughs> mm. well, you know, uh, well, in hindsight. <laughs> we have a lot of time on our hands, so we should do this more often. Let's do it. Uh, cool. Bye, Justin. Change your shirt. Yeah, yeah, maybe later. All right. See, <laughs> see you guys. Bye. That's it for tonight. The high school special is next, so until tomorrow. For everyone who's been a part of this one, I'm TC and Jake. We do thank you for watching. Good night.